If you want something in life, whatever that happens to be, I'm all about making deliberate and conscious decisions, not emotional-based decisions. So when you think of emotional intelligence, you really, the, really the first thing is you want to recognize and perceive your own emotions, what you're experiencing in the moment. And then once you're starting to get a better feel on that, then you can start to work on what can I do, what actions can I take, what thoughts can I put in my mind to control my own emotions and my own behavior when I'm experiencing those emotions. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 23, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, minimalism, and living within your means. Chris Ubanek has a great story and enthusiasm for life. I always love when we have a new guest that has a young family on the show, and I know sometimes our show is often real estate oriented. And so it's always great to have someone approaching financial independence, retiring early from a different perspective. And so I just love hearing Chris's approach. Yeah, I mean, anything to do with family is cool, right? Like it's it's about kind of balancing your life. And, and it's not all about real estate. It's about increasing your income, reducing your expenses. Chris's passion is really hard to rival. I don't know about you guys, but I love hearing stories from people approaching financial independence from unique angles. Chris's main focus is on building a great life for his family. And he knows that his family's financial health plays a big role in the trajectory of their life. Today's sponsor of the On Fire podcast is OREC 2019. It's the Ontario Real Estate Conference that myself and Jeff Weibel co-host here in London, Ontario. It's April 27th and 28th, 2019. Just Google it. Find us on social media. OREC, O-R-E-C, 2019. This episode is also sponsored by Jeff Weibo himself. Jeff told his whole story in episode 6 where he earned over $100,000 in his first year as a real estate agent. He's a major advocate for having social media presence as made clear by his Instagram and YouTube accounts. He also puts on events at the mansion and co-hosts the Ontario Real Estate Conference. Follow along on his journey on Instagram and YouTube and if you're looking to invest in real estate, contact Jeff through any of his social media accounts. All right, that's enough of that. Let's dive into the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. So we're going to dive into more of this later, but can you give us a brief summary of what the last year has looked like for you? Oh, last year, eh? Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we noticed one thing. You had uh, just a one-year anniversary that recently. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that's actually a point. So about a year ago, I did start, start the blog, deliberatechange.ca. So I was posting there pretty much once a week until the spring came. And then I somehow managed to become the president of a nonprofit community organization that operates a local swimming pool, which started consuming a fair amount of my time. So I actually slowed down the blog to every two weeks, but wanted to continue with that. So that's maybe why I was drawing a blank a moment ago. So I was yeah. just so focused on running this, this swimming pool. <laughs> and it's just it was just fantastic. I mean, we you know, revenue was way up, membership was way up, expenses and debt were mm-hmm. way down, had a great team working with us. Nice. And it was just a all around smashing success. And you great. do this on week- weekends and evenings, right? Because right now, and yeah. I mean, for the last year as well, you've been working at a full time job. Yeah. yeah. So I do, I do work a, a steady nine to five job, although I, it's more like a 6.30 to 3 for, yeah. <laughs> you know, be home for the family, avoid some traffic and that kind of thing. But yeah, so I, in my air quotes free time, that's when I, I run the pool and write for the blog and do other activities in the community. I love how we've already touched on a couple of important things, family for you, community, and then like, you know, your career. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just kind of dive a bit more into your backstory. Do you mind just for audience members that maybe aren't familiar with who Chris is? Sure. So basically, I, I graduated with an engineering degree about 10 or 12 years ago and jumped right into the nine to five job there, where I'm at right now, major manufacturing organization here in the London area. 
I had some opportunities back when I was coming out of school to actually join up with some startups, but I decided I actually wanted more of the stable routine approach, so I went that route. It's done very well for me. I spent several years in research and development activities and all those fancy lights that tell you when you're doing something wrong in your car, that's the kind of stuff I do. <laughs> oh, okay. So nice. it's actually quite quite a lot of fun doing that. And I've moved around within work to different different parts within the organization, still within engineering. And I grew up as well back when I was in high school and so on, and just a very typical middle-class suburban lifestyle. And I remember back in high school saying, this is what I want when I grow up, when I get older. Yeah. Basically, essentially repeating what I was familiar with. And we've been able to do that. My wife and my kids and I have two young, two young boys in grade school. And so we do have, I mean, right now we live in a, a McMansion. We have a two-car garage. We've got the career. My wife stays at home with the kids, although she's starting yeah. her, her freelancing business now and ramping that up. So that's sort of our backstory. And, and as that kind of progressed, I started to realize that there's, there's more than just that. You know, obviously I have the faith component. I've been attending Forest City Community Church for several years now and absolutely love it there. Because it's a it's a church for people who would not otherwise attend church, yeah. which really plays to to us and where we're looking at. Nice. And and through that and the community really started to get involved in different community aspects. So before the pool, I was actually running a refugee settlement program here in oh, London. Right. I remember. Yeah. So we we successfully settled a, a family of fourteen Syrian refugees, which was fantastic. And when I say family, wow. I really mean an extended family with multiple family units. Wow. And that, that program was just awesome. The church community raised well into the six figures of funding for that. Oh, wow. and, and then I led the team of several dozen volunteers to execute on that program, mm-hmm. which wrapped up just this past year, right around the time the pool was starting. So oh, it kind of moved out of yeah. one and into the next. One so, to the next, yeah. What is the, like, so we don't talk a ton, honestly. We, we probably should more, but like, <laughs> you know, we talk about our own community and like meetups and that kind of thing. But like in terms of engaging with the local community in terms of like, the refugees and the community pool and that kind of stuff. Where do you think that drive comes from for you? You know what? It probably actually, to be honest, comes from a bit of insecurity. So it comes from this desire to have that social network and that friendship base. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because people say, Chris, you're doing a good job. It kind of encourages that, Hey, you know, you've done well, let's, Mm -hmm. let's keep going with some more. And, and I've been successful at it, which drives an interest, which drives more success, which drives an interest. That's right. And so Hmm. getting out in the community, I mean, we talk about in your evenings and weekends, investing in education and starting a side hustle and all that. But I like to invest in my family and my community because it's not just about me and it's not just about the money as as interested as I am in that piece of it. Yeah. So the community, obviously refugees in the pool and just my neighbors, like I know the names of all my neighbors around me and you know, mm-hmm. we'll say hi. And it's not just me, but lots of my other names. You're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm laughing. There's a story behind this. When uh, Chris came out to what other, I think it was the very first or one of the very first yeah. London on Fire meetups, they, we had like a good 25 people or something there. And Chris went around and he was talking to everyone and everyone was just meeting each other for the first time. And then we did like a quick round table and just said, hey, everyone, say your name, say, you know, something quick about yourself, whatever. And everyone went around. And then when it got to Chris, he went back and he reviewed and said every other person's name in the room. And he remembered, I think, something small about each one of them as well. And it was just it was really interesting because like most people are really bad with names and I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of value in being really good with them. So that was just a really good first first impression, right? <laughs> like yeah. someone who's like really clearly community community oriented, right? Yeah. And one thing I want to talk about, about the community being community oriented and giving back to the community. Recently, someone was commenting on my YouTube channel and was like, they were very bearish on real estate and all this stuff. And essentially we're like, it's going to go to zero. You're going to lose everything, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, Okay, interesting, you know, whatever. 
And then we kind of engaged in a dialogue or whatever. And what came from it, what I took away was by the end of it, I was like, well, listen, like, even if I lose everything by putting myself out here on YouTube, I'm creating a community, I'm creating real relationships. And that social capital is actually very powerful. Like, that's the one thing that you won't lose in a recession, a depression, the craziest turmoil that any economy could see. Yeah. The people relationships like that will transcend any sort of economic crisis, right? I love that. And so like, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. to me, like truly the most resilient, the most robust lifestyle you could have is that community of people that web that network. Absolutely. And, and if you're prepared to check your ego at the door, if you were to, you know, lose everything or lots of things in a mm-hmm. recession or, or, you know, that kind of stuff, you've got that network, you can maybe do some side work for those people. Maybe they know yeah. other people, oh, yeah. they understand you, you understand them and the, that who you know starts to spread. And if, I mean, I'm an engineer, so I, I earn professional wages, but if that were to disappear and I were to check my ego at the door, I could go and I could, you know, do minimum wage work to yeah. put food on the table for my family. And that's because yeah. I've got that connection that those people would be looking it's out It's funny. I've, I've never really consciously brought this to my mind before because like we have, we, with this network we have, with this local community, you know, if if everything were to fail, we do have we have other people to fall back on. And like that, I think, is at the back of my mind at all times when I'm making decisions that might otherwise be scary. Right. Fa- family or friends that are not part of this necessarily this community. They go, well, what happens if this what happens if, you know, whatever goes wrong? And it's like, I don't even think about it. I know that. I, first of all, I know I'm resourceful enough to figure it out for myself. And even if I'm not, we have we have a, we have a group of people ready to fall back on it as well. Exactly. It makes making these bigger decisions a lot easier. And one of the challenges, though, with having lots of these communities, I've already talked about things like, you know, our London on Fire mm-hmm. community, my church community, my pool community, my neighborhood, is they're, they're kind of, if you picture that Venn diagram, they are these separate circles yeah, of people. silos. And they're silos, exactly. And once in a while, they overlap. Like one of my uh, board members that I, that I volunteer with is actually a, a re- regular member of, from London on Fire. We met there before we met in our community, which is <laughs> oh, interesting. Really? It also brings in that problem of, well, you only have a certain amount of time to invest in relationships. Yes. And so if you're, if you're spreading across multiple communities, then that relational depth is less in yeah. each of the given communities. Right. And that's really just a trade-off like every other trade-off we have to make. Mm-hmm. Actually, so I don't think we we're planning on talking about this at all, but social media for you isn't isn't as big of a deal, right? No. Like for us, Instagram is really big for developing your, you know, developing, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And we're filming this live as well on Instagram, <laughs> so we're looking at the camera. But Facebook, I know you're a big part of the Facebook group and that kind of thing. You have your blog. But you don't, I mean, I think in a lot of ways you don't see, you don't see similar value in social media that, that like, at least we tend to put a lot of effort toward that type of thing. Where do you think that I think difference comes it, from? It starts a bit from the privacy aspect. I still remember years ago saying I will never, ever, ever, ever have a Facebook account. And then in order to stay connected with a certain group of friends, I was forced to get a Facebook mm-hmm. account. And yeah. from that, I, you know, I just kind of kept it small. And really just sort of privately connecting with a few people here and there. Yeah. But then ultimately when I when I joined the London on Fire community, one of the things I love is I love giving back. I love helping people. I love kind of walking people through maybe some of their money challenges and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And so that was a venue where I could start to express that. And that connected with the blog really started to kind of build my brand. Because, you know, we talk about yeah. social capital and yes. having having my brand, the people who know me personally. Yeah. My brand is my brand across anyone that mm-hmm. I can interact with. It's the same, with. right? But this way, it allows it to kind of expand a bit. It puts uh, – what's what's the word? I, I don't want to say a backup plan. It's almost 
it's planting seeds. I yeah. think we talked about this like yes. a year or two ago. It we plants did. seeds. You have no idea what may or may not result of that. Right. But at the end, I'm really, I'm just kind of putting it out there and, yeah. and you know, basically sharing information. Yeah. I mean, what is marketing without social media these days, right? So, like, if you're planning on branding and marketing yourself, you need to do you need to use social yep. media, and yeah. you see so much value in communities. Like, social media is a way to have that one-to-many conversation that is so difficult to do with face-to-face, right? right? And there is so much value in face-to-face meetups and and actually developing relationships in person. And I mean, I don't think you should do one or the other. Agree, but I mean, the value of social media is having those one-to-many conversations. And one one of the challenges too that's faced with that, and maybe this is what holds me back a little bit is it comes back to the time. I mean, no, it's only a few seconds to quickly put something up on Instagram, but that takes you out of the present, the yeah, moment, out of sure. the moment and into the computer screen. And for I already sure. spend enough time in the computer screen. I spend enough time, you know, <laughs> working with, with the various teams that I'm working yeah. with. Yeah. And so I try to limit that where I can so that I can be present with my wife, with my children, yes. with my friends, my neighbors. And and so there's that competing demand on our time. Yes. Plus my phone's really old and slow. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have something to learn from you as well because it, it definitely takes away from personal relationships at times, right? You're pulling your phone out while you're with people. And I mean, I think a lot of us are really used to that, but... There are there are some people that aren't, and, and there are good reasons why they wouldn't be, right? Like, we want to have those in-person conversations. One of the things, I remember this, so about a year ago, we had one of these big engineering all-hands meetings at work, and we had a guest speaker who was a Canadian force, he's ex-Canadian forces now, and he was in charge of one of the largest battles, Operation Medusa, over yeah. uh, in Afghanistan. And so he's actually done a documentary, his name is Mark Gasparato, he does public speaking now, but he, he put out a documentary with another guy. And anyways, he came and did some public speaking in our at our event. And one of the things he said is, as engineers, we always kind of tend to be planning and future-oriented, which takes us out of the present. We need to learn to be yeah. more present physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally. So I really took hold of that about a year ago and said, I'm going to try and do, do more yeah, of that. Nice. I like that. So maybe switching gears a bit, but still talking about community. What was your introduction to the FIRE community? Like financial independence, retired early. How did you discover the idea? Aha. So we have to go back, way back to when I was in high school, actually, maybe even before high school. So I like to shock people by saying my dad retired early at age 39 in the early 90s. And most people say, what? That's crazy. Way back then, there wasn't even the internet back Mm -hmm. then. But the reality is he took an early pension or early retirement from the military and mom went back to work. So we always had sort of one stay-at-home parent, one working parent. And dad actually got more into the real estate stuff, which is kind of interesting. Several units across the area we were living in at the time. So right from, from sort of my formative growing up years, we've had this, this open financial dialogue in the house about, you know, making sure you're saving properly for retirement, whatever that happens to be. I opened up, or my parents helped me open up my first RSP right when I was first eligible, you know, saving for university all through high school, awesome. that kind of stuff. So there's been really a good foundation from my parents. So I, I owe them a lot for that yeah. education. And so as we move forward, I've always been kind of cheap or frugal or however mm-hmm. you want to call it. And in the early days, it was most definitely cheap. There was no <laughs> doubt about it. It was cheap. And and as I moved into university and got the career, I remember, again, one of the lessons dad taught me was when you get out and get your first job, don't go and treat yourself to that new car. Don't go and buy that fancy house, that expensive apartment. Just keep living like a student for maybe a couple yeah, more years. Yeah. Pocket huge amounts of cash, and then you're set for the next whatever block of yeah. your goals are trying to be. So we kind of took that to heart. And then one of our friends actually introduced us to Mr. Money Mustache. 
So I had never heard of this, but this friend introduced me. She says, I think you're going to really like this. Yeah. So, so I did that. She was right. She was totally <laughs> right, which is ironic because she actually doesn't really follow fire too much. Like, oh, you know, I really want my big SUV just because I want it. I'm dreaming. So that's cool. She wants She yeah. goes for it. But that really got me hooked. Nice. And that really started to kind of frame this, well, I don't have to work till 65. I already always knew I was going to be before 65, but how much before was kind of up in the air and so on. So, okay, it's switching gears a little bit as well. So, so one, one last oh, piece yeah, on that sure. is this specific community, London on Fire, I was invited through your friend and my yeah. brother-in-law, Jonathan Ferwerda. Oh, yeah, John, nice. Yeah, so, that like, feels like a lifetime ago now. Two years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've, you've grown and lost a few beards since then. Yeah. Think, between the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in terms of budgeting and stuff like that, we've had a lot of guests come on and say, oh, I don't really budget too much. Like, I kind of have a general idea, but I know that you have a different outlook on these things. So what's your approach to yeah. budgeting and spending? So I, I actually don't budget. I don't budget, but I track excessively. I can tell you to the penny where every dollar has gone since we were married and probably before then. So my spreadsheet goes back to when we got married about 13 or 14 years ago, 13 and a half specifically. <laughs> I do know. But I was tracking to a high degree even through university. I needed that to get through school. But then when we got married, we said, well, let's actually track this specifically every dollar, every penny that we can. Obviously, some months you miss something here and there, but it, it balances out. So I've, I track and then I can predict. So I don't budget. We're going, we can only spend $50 or $100 mm-hmm. or 200 a week on groceries because what if cereal's on sale this week? Well, you want to stock up on cereal, but that would blow this week's budget. Mm -hmm. So on average, if you look at any number of months or every number of years, you can see the trend. And I actually... I actually revealed my grocery spending in one of my uh, my articles. Mm. But basically, I track. So I understand where our spending is going. I understand when things are changing, when bills start to have to increase or grow. And then we can make conscious decisions such as, you know what? We haven't been spending a lot on vacations recently. Let's go on some bigger trips. And then we try and do things as inexpensively as possible. We look for the value proposition, not necessarily the dollar. I should also state that that goes in part with... We've been very fortunate that our natural tendency is still on that cheapness and frugality side. Mm -hmm. And because we have strong earning power, that results in a gap that we don't have to watch very Mm -hmm. carefully. So if you're in a position where the money is a lot tighter, then there are absolutely some good reasons for budgeting. And I'll go as far as saying use cash. Use cash because then when it's gone, it's gone. It's like an envelope technique, right? Absolutely. There's lots of ways of doing that. But in our case, we just track everything and we look and say, okay, this is what it's been. It's probably not going to change much moving forward. So what sort of insights, like, do you get, like, for myself, I only do kind of spot audits where I'll check maybe once or twice a year to just kind of see, am I still spending roughly the same amount? But since you have this giant database, like, have you Mm -hmm. noticed interesting trends in your yep. life or what sort of perspectives anything you want to share yeah sure so on the groceries thing let's let's pick on that so i should say as well i'm very fortunate that my wife is also along the same mentality financially on she's board. very good nice. with her dollars she's maybe when we were younger she might have been cheaper than me i'm now cheaper than her but on the on balance we're absolutely on the same page nice and and she does a lot of the household shopping and stuff right she's been at home for several years taking care of the kids that's changing as her business grows so she'll do the grocery shopping, almost all of the grocery shopping. Mm. And I look at stuff, and just as recently as yesterday, I see this really fancy chocolate bar in the grocery bag coming home. And I'm thinking to myself, I've seen this chocolate bar many times before. <laughs> how, how much? So I asked her last night, I said, how much are we spending a month on chocolate bars? 
And she just kind of smiles. Yeah. And then, to be fair, I said, it's okay. Because I know our grocery budget, yeah. our, not budget, our expenses is very much, I'll tell you, it's about $700 a month. Yeah. We spend for groceries and toiletries mm -hmm. for a family of four with yeah. two growing boys and one bottomless pit husband. <laughs> so there's a lot of food that's coming into the house. And like I said, it's toiletries. So that was diapers when the kids were young, wow. that's shampoo, that's makeup, that's mm -hmm. hair products, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so when I see that, okay, that's totally fine, an extra 10 or 15 bucks here and there yeah. for some treats, yeah. really, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And so that's a specific insight that we can say, you know what? Here's one. Another example of that would be, I mentioned already, we don't spend a lot on vacations. We kind of go in pockets. So a few years ago, we took a big trip out west. But last year, this year, not not as much. Mm -hmm. But we can look and we say, you know what? We can now afford to, to spend a little bit more in that. So just recently, my wife and I have decided we're going to start going out for lunch dates once a month. Oh, nice. We're going to go to a restaurant once a month mm -hmm. and, and do that. And that's... So that's an interesting because you're not doing dinner, you're doing lunch. So you eat less, the prices are less. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the kids because they're in school. But we've been able to do that because we can see the trends. You know, we're not spending a lot here. Mm -hmm. We're still doing okay. Yeah. We can we can move this up a little yeah. bit. So those are the types of insights we get. Yeah, I think that's great. Cars, houses, all that. I won't go into the details there, but those right. are the sorts of things you can get insights into. What has been like the, your extended family and stuff? What is their reaction or like their opinion on how you guys have been managing your finances and approaching your personal hmm. finances? That's that's a good question. I would think... Maybe your friends as well. Yeah. Some people, it's kind of like the eye roll, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Some people, it's like, yeah, go rah, rah, congrats. You know, you just maxed out this or topped off that or paid off this. Right. So we get that kind of stuff. Yeah. We also have to be careful because we have some family and close friends where money is definitely not a strong suit. Right. And so... so again, privacy more, right? Not, not as much privacy as it is... I'm really not doing it as a way of bragging. Right. Yeah, I know for some sure. people can, can perceive that. Money and ego are very intertwined for a lot of people. So the moment you start talking about anything money, it can Absolutely. immediately put them in a position where they feel judged. It's so true. Yeah. Let, they, let, they tend they tend to react like, oh, I'm not doing that because this. And oh, that's fine. Like I wasn't expecting you to do anything. I'm just talking about my life, right? One of one of the great blogs I read, Millennial Revolution, is about a couple mm -hmm. they've eschewed home ownership. They retired with a million bucks to travel the world. They actually wrote an article about I can't have three, four, five personalities you will meet on your journey to fire. And mm, one yeah. of them, one of them, I posted that actually on the London on Fire Facebook mm. page. So you can go down and scroll through that mm -hmm. link if you're looking for it. But one of the things that really jumped out was, I'm going to get the, the wording wrong, but it's basically, it's the secret enemy. Yeah. It's the person who pretends to be your friend, but oh. is secretly jealous of what you're doing, jealous of what you're trying, trying to, to drag accomplish, you down. trying to drag you down, or at least just being Debbie Downer. Yes. And, and so... Interesting. So if let's let's say Kellen were to make a major financial goal, maybe mm. it's you've acquired a property, maybe you've paid off a debt, maybe you've got a big raise at work or something. You right. hit a major milestone that's important to you and you share it with me. I will do my absolute best to be genuinely happy for you. Right. But there will be many people, and I know some in my own life, where they're like, oh, well, there goes Kellen again, another success in his books, right? And so yeah. you have to watch for that. And they might not tell you to your face, right. but you can see it in their eyes and you have yeah. to watch for that. Right. So when you're having these conversations, whether it's with family or friends or neighbors, you have to be perceptive yeah. of who you're who you're having these conversations with. I think like, I think we all have hints of that. Now. Like at the end of the day, you know, we have an initial, I have, I, even I have an initial reaction when I see other successes, I'm like, Oh, you you suck! Like I wish I, I wish I did that, right? But like at the same time, 
genuinely, I am happy for those people. I just also wish I had that. And I think that's that's envy versus jealousy, right? And I'm, I think it's okay to be envious. And I think it's okay to like want something other people have. It's very different when you don't want them to have it. When you're jealous, you want to take it away from them, right? And, and there's a difference too between wanting and coveting. Right. Right. Like yeah. the wanting is, hey, you mm. know what? Sure, I want a Ferrari. I don't covet a Ferrari. I'm not mm-hmm. drooling over Ferrari. I'm right. also not wanting it enough to go and create all these massive businesses to create the money to afford it. Yeah. You know, it's that that trade-off. Yeah. Very interesting. So have you tried introducing friends or family to the idea of fire? Absolutely. And Absolutely. what sort of reception has there been there? Well, it's interesting. Let's go back to the person who introduced me to Mr. Money Mustache, right? So, so there was that introduction there. And then as I went full steam into it, I tried to sort of reintroduce and say, you know, you know, you're you're looking at maybe replacing a vehicle or you're looking at buying a house or doing these sorts of things. Here's some cool ideas. And I'm like, no, nah, but I like my whatever. So yeah. some of it is apathy. I have I have some friends that think along very similar mindsets, whether or not they're part of the community. So it's great to have those kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. I joke with one of my coworkers at work. He's a fairly new hire, you know, reasonably fresh out of school. And and he went and bought a, a, new, yeah. a new Jeep, right? Yeah. So so we actually tease each other. So the two of us and another guy were actually just talking this week. And the other guy was also on the idea of old used cars. And then the first guy says, oh, here we go about the Jeep again. Hey, I didn't bring up the Jeep. He brought up the Jeep. You brought up the Jeep. <laughs> so there, there's a little bit of a friendly banter. Yeah. But again, it comes down to perception and yeah. knowing your audience and who you're talking with. For sure. So with your family, I mean, at some point, you probably will choose to retire, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what does that look like at some point when you want to do that with your family? Yeah, that's that's a really tough one because... Needs are always changing and wants are always changing. I mean, and you and I, we've talked over the last few yeah. years and that, the, the idea has always been different, right? Absolutely, like, absolutely. And part of that is, you know, if we go back to the budget, we, we have this trend and we see where we're going, but the kids are getting older. I have no idea what mm-hmm. it's going to cost to raise high schoolers. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone says it's more expensive, but they also say babies are more expensive. And right. we got through that, okay. So where, yeah. so, so there's that kind of uncertainty. There's this desire to have more time to spend with the family and with the community. But at the same time, in order to achieve fire sooner, you have to work more. Nothing comes mm-hmm. for free, right? Yeah. And whether yeah. it's working overtime at the office or whether it's a side hustle or real estate or something along those lines, mm-hmm. you don't. nothing comes for free. You have to put in the time. But you put in the time now, but then you lose the time. You know, like, for example, let's look at Michael Rosehart. He put in buckets of time in yeah. his yeah. early career yeah. to get to the position he's at. And that was a trade he deliberately made. Yeah. So I think of those. And... And I've made some career moves within the company over the last few years that have really helped me move in the direction that allows me to focus on the things that are more important for me, awesome. both from a career perspective and from a work-life balance. Actually, so on the career note, we ironically don't talk very much about people's jobs here, but I mean, you're pretty passionate about your job. So when it comes to like negotiating and stuff like that, or like trying to trying to like work your way up in a company, like what, do you have any strategies or tips that you can kind of provide to... Yeah, actually. Basically, first of all, think of think of your brand. Think of the reputation that you're doing. Think of what you want other people to perceive of you. And then live into that mm. and actually follow through with that. Oh, that's interesting. Because there's lots of people, I mean, I can think of I can think of several people that, you know, maybe in certain circumstances they're, you know, great people and they're doing a good job, but then they'll kinda go and they'll complain a lot or they'll backstab. Mm. Maybe not deliberately backstab, but just sort of yeah, well, you know what what Matt said, like yeah. this kind of stuff. And you're like, well, how is that building positive in the workforce? Mm-hmm. How is that building right. encouragement? And so if you're always, always 
maskless at the office. You are who you are. You're always doing your best. And if you're not able to follow through on a commitment, you're managing your customer's expectations, whether that's an internal customer, right. the guy who asked you for work, your boss, an external customer. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're really genuine in what you're doing. I like that. And, and as a result, if your colleagues and your superiors are also genuine, when it comes time for promotions or lateral moves or new yeah. opportunities, they'll feel more generous maybe. Not only that, but they'll have a better understanding of whether it's a good fit. Mm-hmm. Because just because there's an opening right. up or across doesn't mean you'll be successful at it. You might be a really good software developer, but you might be a really crummy manager yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. And if you're genuine in the office, then when those opportunities come along, the people who are assessing the candidates have no doubt that you are who you say you are. That's interesting. Well, I've never heard a well, phrase that way. One thing I want to build upon that Chris said there was like really modeling your behavior upon like the successful people you want to. Mm-hmm. So something that I've seen in the workforce in the past is they don't get the raise, they don't get the promotion. And so then their reaction is to stop working, right? Stop caring. Right. And that's going to result in guaranteeing that you're not going to get the promotion yeah. or the raise next time. And then they get into this terrible feedback loop where essentially like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that like I get overlooked mm-hmm. at work for promotions, so I'm not going to try at work. And yeah. so I get overlooked again. They keep benching me, so I never yeah. get, never get yeah. played. And why don't I get better? Exactly. Yeah. One of the other things that's really important, and this isn't just at work, but it's in life in general. And, and Mr. Money Mustache coined the term no complainy pants. Yes. And, and we all complain. I complain. You guys complain. We all complain about stuff. But if it if it never moves beyond complaints, then we become complainy pants. Yeah. The whole idea is if you're unhappy with something, yeah. whether it's the behavior of someone in your life, whether it's your personal circumstance, whether it's your money or your spending, do something about it yeah. and change it. Take steps, figure out, learn, read, talk to people, ask for help and make a change. So if you're unhappy with something at work, let's say there's there's a project you think is going the wrong way, you could go and you could talk behind people's backs and complain, yeah. or you could actually go to the person who's running the project, shocker, and say, I think we have a problem here. Mm. Here's some ideas. Or I'm a little lost for ideas. Everyone says never come with problems, come with solutions. Yes. If you're usually doing that, then once in a while, if you come without a solution, they'll yeah. know, again, they'll know you're genuine. Mm-hmm. So you can come and you say, look, I'm, I'm perceiving this issue. I'm perceiving this to have these following consequences. What can we do to solve it? I don't know if you've observed this or not. This is what I'm seeing. What can we do to actually resolve that? Yeah. And that that actually also generates and garners a lot of respect in the workplace and in the community because, again, it's going back to genuine. It's going back to... The selflessness. I'm looking mm-hmm. out for the team, for the community, for yeah. the group. Even if it might cost me some ego, maybe if I have to take some accountability for your mistake even, right? It's about yeah. working together. To karma, ad- starts, karma starts to yeah. play its role, right? Yeah. And not just doing something about the problems in your life, but sometimes owning up to them, right? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people have issues in their life. They don't want to own up to them. But like some of these problems, maybe may, you may be a part of them, right? Mm-hmm. So like trying to figure out, hey, I'm a part of this and doing what you can about your, you know, change your own life. You know, that comes to something I wanted to kind of touch on. It's probably not on your list, but mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about emotional intelligence for a minute. Because it's a big buzzword around there, EI, EQ, whatever acronym you want to give mm-hmm. it. And I've historically been very poor on emotional intelligence. Remember dad saying many times, Chris, perception, you know, pay attention. I've already brought that word up a few times. But if you think of it, if you want something in life, whatever that happens to be, you know, 
I'm all about making deliberate and conscious decisions, not emotional-based decisions. And it's okay to make emotional decisions if you're aware that you're doing that. It's okay. There's nothing wrong as long as you're cognizant of Mm -hmm. what's going on. So when you think of emotional intelligence, you really, really the first thing is you want to recognize and perceive your own emotions, what you're experiencing in the moment exactly at that time or an hour ago or yesterday. Yeah. And then once you're starting to get a better feel on that, then you can start to work on what can I do, what actions can I take, what thoughts can I put in my mind to control my own emotions and my own behavior when I'm experiencing those emotions. Hmm. And so then when you're denied a promotion or when something goes wrong and you start to feel that emotion. You know how to react. Right. Or if you're at the store and you see limited time only sale for this fancy doodad, you say, oh, I got to buy it. No, 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 wait. This is the scarcity emotion. I don't really need it. And you can Mm -hmm. actually self-regulate through that, make better decisions. And then, I mean, there's always, there's also the other side where you perceive other people's emotions and then you mm-hmm. control your behavior to help influence and guide their emotions. Yeah. It's, sen- it's, it's a but, sense of self-awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people get that from meditation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like understanding how you're feeling and then reacting, like not just reacting based on your emotions, but like understanding your emotions and then making deliberate, taking deliberate action. Right. And, and recognizing, you know, Oh man, I'm starting to get really mad here. I don't want to explode. I'm just going to give myself a timeout yeah. or something. Yeah. Right? And being able to recognize that regardless of your situation will help you not burn bridges. It will help you be genuine. It will help you make better decisions, rational decisions, and yeah. just do better overall, whatever <clears throat> you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think a lot of that can be applied at like a macro scale in your life too, right? Sometimes you get caught up with like, you know, just like day-to-day stuff like that. But every once in a while you need to take, take a deep breath, take a step back and like kind of reanalyze your life and think what what is it I want to do with my life, right? And that, that's a really great throwback to the question you asked me a few minutes ago, but what does retirement look like and why it keeps changing all the time? Mm-hmm. Because again, I'm not just me. I'm me and my wife and our two kids. And so I have wants and needs. My mm-hmm. wife has wants and needs. Yeah. My kids have wants and needs. We have this egotistical, what do I want my neighbors to think? What do I want my friends to think? Which I really try and park, but it's yeah. still there. We're all there, yeah. the keeping up with the Joneses thing. But the reason why there have been so many changes and ebbs and flows as we go along is is I'm trying to to take the emotion out. I'm trying to take the, man, I actually legitimately like what you guys have got going and I'm jealous of that, but it's not for me and it's not for our lifestyle. And so how do we, how do we accomplish what we want without going and building a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio, mm-hmm. for example? Right? <laughs> so, so these kinds of ideas are why it keeps changing and keeps shuffling and there's this constant internal reflection and conversation with right. mentors, mentees, peers, yeah. family. So, okay. And and actually taking it back to the, what does fire look like for you? Because I mean, you're talking about, you know, people who are building their multi-million dollar real estate portfolios, generating passive income like that. Would your goal eventually be to be retiring on a pile of cash and using index funds? Or would it be some sort of mixture of passive and active income or... I, I see it being more of a almost a semi-fire mm-hmm. earlier on because I don't want to give up the now for the later mm-hmm. because I'm, quite frankly, I'm too old to do that. I, that's maybe not the right answer, but maybe 10 years ago, I might have been more willing to do that before mm-hmm. we had a bigger family. So it really, it's a, ca- it's a case of basically couch potato index fund investing and, yeah. and, and the bit of the pension at work and that kind of stuff. And maybe maybe even some small business work or some real estate stuff as that expands one of the things that that I think of is is as I have more time, as maybe the kids get older, maybe after high school or something, you know, maybe get back into that kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's hard to say, but I I love the idea of 
small-time entrepreneurial activities. Like what Tom's doing, right? Tom Forsyth. What, what, what was yeah. his episode called? Like, I don't know. It's but, yeah. but you guys can find it. <laughs> it's the traveling, the world traveling carpenter yeah. who's actually, as a small update, is leaving for Brazil for three months right now. Nice. There's a good chance he'll be listening to this episode while in Brazil, like on a beach somewhere. <laughs> so Hi, Tom. Shout out to Tom. <laughs> but you, know, you think of what my wife's doing, right? She's a freelance graphing and web designer and she's mm-hmm. knocking it out of the park. She's got all sorts of great feedback from her clients. And she, now that the kids are in school, she can start, you know, accelerating that. But that is never going to make or break whether we can put food on the table. That's yeah. the, can we get to fire sooner? Can mm. we take an extra vacation? And that's the type of entrepreneurial stuff I enjoy. But if I were to just leave my job tomorrow, which, by the way, I won't be, um, <laughs> I would then, if I were into that entrepreneurial piece, I would need there be that pressure, that firepreneurship mm-hmm. is not there in our case yeah. yet, right? So the firepreneurship is, is appealing, but... Is it that all I want to do? Am I afraid of that? I've never really done that before. But mm-hmm. so maybe the way I get into that is I, I support other entrepreneurs. And that's and <laughs> cheer then them t- on. <laughs> I'm sure I, I'm sure that all ties into the whole you can retire sooner than you think thing Absolutely. type idea, right? Absolutely. And, and so talking about your approach to how you're going to do your finances, one thing that Kellen and I really want to touch upon was you've done the rental properties yep. and you're not doing rental properties now. Correct. And so, you know, a lot of our audience and a lot of the guests we've had on are very real estate heavy. So we'd love to explore kind of your th- thought process and experiences and just all that. Basically around. say, why not real estate? Chris? <laughs> we love real estate. Yeah. So, so as I mentioned earlier, my parents were big into real estate. They pulled some pretty awesome stuff in the 80s and 90s and had several units uh, when they eventually and ultimately they, they sold the close date for their last non-principal residence property was within days of our close date on ours a year and a half ago. So we both kind of got out at the same time. Mm. It just worked out that way. But the real estate has always been in our family. And I saw some of that and, and it wasn't really for me. I was more drawn to the, the fire aspect without understanding that it was fire. Just the the idea of the passive, Mm semi-passive income aspect without the enjoying the And just people being conscious with their spending, right? In general, right? like with their money. But I like the idea of, of, you know, collecting the rent and and buying properties. Mm. And so we did end up buying a semi-detached home about uh, five years ago or so on. And basically, we got into that. We had model tenants, really, really magnificent tenants. I don't know if they're listening to this or not. I suspect probably not. But if they are, all of you guys were truly just awesome. Which begs the question, well, if you had such great tenants, you had a good place, it wasn't costing anything, like, why get out of it? But when there were things going on, we have to, let's look at the bigger picture. Mm. Remember, full-time busy job, mm-hmm. full-time busy family. I love to invest back in my community. Where is the time for the real estate? Yeah. So when something would happen, because it doesn't matter how perfect it is, there's always going to be something. There will be a tenant turnover. Yeah. There will be, you know, attic insulation needed. There will be a leak somewhere or what yeah. have you. There weren't actually leaks, but there's always going to be something. And when that would come, it would have to displace other stuff. Yeah, it takes away. Mm -hmm. That's right. And at the same time, the property we bought, again, putting the context in, deliberate choices, right? Make sure you understand what you're doing and why. We bought a property that you guys would never buy because it doesn't cash flow. It was a neutral property. Mm-hmm. We financed 100% of it. So we used equity in our home to, to cover off that. So it didn't cost us anything, but it didn't earn us anything. Yeah, we got mortgage pay down and so on and a bit of capital appreciation. But in general, 
on a day to day, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. there was no cash flow. It was more of a nuisance when things happened. Right. But we went into it as an experiment. Mm-hmm. We bought in because it was being a semi. It was easy to sell if we wanted to sell. It was an easy in, easy out. We thought exit plan when we were buying it. These are all very important things when you're doing an, a big investment. Yeah. And we went in with an experiment with a tuition type mindset. Yeah. And love it. And one of the things that was also very important is Andrea, my wife, was on board. So for years and years, she was sort of resistant to real estate, and I wasn't overly gung-ho. So you put the two together, and it's like, no. But at this point, I had more time. My wife was not resistant but not pro. She was like, okay, yeah, all right, let's try it. And so it just worked out, and we tried it. Nice. And we, we just didn't really like it. I suspect, to be honest, if it was making substantial money and we had more time to put into it when those peaks came and we made those choices instead of other choices mm. – then we might have stuck with it. Maybe flip that out and bought something more along the lines of what mm-hmm. you guys might buy, the cash flowing type stuff. Right. But that's that's why we got in. That's why we got out. And that's why we're not really keen on going back into that in the near future. Yeah, I really appreciate the perspective. And I'm really glad that we could share it with our audience. Because again, I know Kellen and I are very real estate heavy if you look at our portfolios. But that's that's our path. That yeah. doesn't have to be everyone's path. Well, not only that, like, like you know, we're like the single white. Well, I mean, not that we, we, brought, <laughs> we brought in another white male, but we have a, we have this, we have like two single guys like and it's like, well, you have to take time away from your family and you have to take time away from your job. Like Matt doesn't even have a job or like, you know, it's like yeah, it's like, well, maybe that's why we're able to focus so much on this stuff. I, uh, I wrote an article on that exact point called what would you do with your two hours? So if you just put yourselves in the family man perspective, nine to five, you come home from work, you commute, you have a bit of time to decompress, you have dinner with the family, then you spend maybe an hour or so doing whatever is homework or playtime or extracurriculars. But mm-hmm. then you come home, you get the kids down into bed. Finally, it's around eight o'clock, seven thirty, mm-hmm. eight o'clock, and you're going to bed around 10 ish, maybe 1030 because you got to get up for work the next morning and be functional. So you have that two, maybe three hours. What are you going to do with your two or three hours? Yeah. And what choices do you want to make within that? And that's where I was talking about when real estate comes in, it displaces a bunch of other stuff, which is not bad. It's just, mm-hmm. what's your choice? What are you willing to do? So you have to think of this because you have your two hours or just maybe not structured the same way as my two yeah, hours no, exactly. or yours. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to think about what do I want to do with my time? Because once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think now is a good time as I need to jump into the fire four. Yeah. So the first question, what are you grateful for? Oh, most definitely my family, as well as the position that we have in life. You know, we've been very fortunate. We've had, both of us have had good solid upbringings, which put us on the right path. And then our family is very solid and very grateful and thankful for that, for sure. Awesome. awesome. That was definitely a prepared answer. You were ready. <laughs> my family. My family. <laughs> so what's a guilty pleasure or a tool you couldn't live without? All right. So second question reveals a second prepared answer. <laughs> you told me to listen to these beforehand, right? <laughs> no, I, I had to think about that. And and I'm actually going to say, I think it's the, the McMansion and the second car. Interesting. So, so we do live in a four-bedroom, double-garage house, and we've been in that house for 11 years now, just over 11 years. And it actually doesn't cost us very much to live in that particular house that you might expect, even what it is. But it still costs us more than if we were to move to a multi-unit right. or a smaller house. And so actually just a year and a half ago, we actually were seriously looking into what would it be to maybe sell this house and move into something smaller. But all the options we saw, all the trade-offs, we said, you know what, for the extra say $100,000, $150,000 that we might mm. take out, it's not worth what we'd have to give up. 
Mm-hmm. So it comes back to that a whole idea of deliberate choices, deliberate yeah. ideas. And we said, no, we are prepared to spend this money to live in this house, in this neighborhood with, with this environment. Same goes with the second car. We could totally get by with one car. I ride my bike to work often in the summer. I've actually started carpooling again in the winter. Nice. So we barely put any kilometers on the cars in general. Last year was maybe 5,000 kilometers on the second vehicle. That's your borderline yeah. not even needing it. Yeah. Yeah. But we looked at what it's costing us. I mean, it's, we've got an 06 and a 2012, so there's nothing new, nothing fancy. They're reliable. They don't cost us much. So the convenience it gives us, very anti-mustachian. Mm. <laughs> but the convenience is worth the small amount of, of cost that it's bringing for us. So that's... I'd say those are our guilty yeah, pleasures. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's a great example of, again, just being conscious of your consumption. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So is there a frugality tip or a life hack that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I think it actually just what we were just talking about there. I think it's be conscious about what you're spending. There is nothing wrong with going out and buying a new car or a fancy house or any of this. But be aware of that. So one mm-hmm. of the guys at work, he's he's in the process of shopping for his first home. He's looking at somewhere in the half million dollar range. And he sat down with some mortgage brokers recently and realized that it's going to cost about 850 grand to buy this half million dollar house. So And his eyes, he was just completely shocked at mm. that because he had never been exposed to that sort of math, the compound interest. So like once he looked at the amortization table, ah, totally. he saw the interest. Yeah. Exactly. That's I remember exactly. Adam Martin's reaction, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can have compound interest working for you or against mm-hmm. you. I'd rather have it working for me. Yeah. So that was one of his first exposures to it working against you. And he's like, oh, my word. There's nothing wrong if he chooses to go out and buy that. Yeah. But there's other options. And I would hope that he or anyone else in a similar position would look at the options and would say, this is what mathematically makes the most sense. This is what my emotion wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm prepared to spend this yeah. illogically because of this. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. What I think is is a problem in society is when we just kind of go with the flow of society yeah. and do stuff. Oh, my neighbor bought a new house. So I got to buy a new house without actually really thinking it through. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the consumption within reason mm-hmm. as long as you're being aware. So that's my hack is be aware of what you're spending and why you're spending it so that you can tell your dollars where you really want them to go to get the most benefit. Yeah, love it. So the fourth question in the Fire Four is, what would the hero of your own movie do right now in your life? Well, I'm, I'm going to steal this one from Adam Steeper, and I'm going to say take more risks. Ooh, I like risks. that. I love to hear that. And and this goes back to the entrepreneurial comments we're talking about. It goes back to the the getting out of real estate or, or what I'm doing with work. I made some moves at work where I moved out of a leadership stream and into a technical stream about mm. two years ago. And a lot of people were surprised at that. And some, probably about half and half, were surprised positively and surprised negatively. Like, because there's this whole idea in the career. Well, it doesn't fit the corporate narrative. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So so that's a case of knowing what you want, setting it up, going for it. And maybe they would have said no. In this case, they said yes. And so now I've moved into this area where I get to play with cool stuff all the time. Yeah. But I had to, to think about that, think of what I wanted, position myself, brand myself, and then move and request it. I had to ask for it. It didn't just come. So this whole idea of taking risks, I wish I could do a bit more of that. 
And maybe that's why I love hanging around with entrepreneurs, not just yourselves, but other people in other communities and cheering them on and trying to help them and support them. And I love to hear that because, I mean, in general, you de- you definitely approach life with a more more of a conservative mindset, right? Absolutely. Save your money, work a job. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But like we've also seen some of the risks people take and some of the rewards they've gotten for it. And I mean, these aren't these aren't uncalculated risks by any means, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of math and a lot of decision making that goes into buying a risky rental property or jumping into a scary business or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a lot of potential upside to it. So it's really exciting to hear that. I, I look forward to seeing what risks you take. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that no matter what, like whatever you approach, you're going to approach it with a sense of deliberation and you're going you're gonna to make smart decisions along the way. So it may not be as risky as you think, whatever these decisions end up being. And then that's a great tie into one of the... It was like an instant classic MMM article. The What was the exact title? Basically, oh, the, uh, Confidence and Money are Interchangeable. Yeah. I can't remember exactly yeah. the title. Yeah, I think that. that's what it was. He posted it, I think, back in the spring, the yellow logo with mm-hmm. the wolf. Yeah. And that is so true because the more confident you are, the more self-aware you are, the less money you actually need because you'll just go in and make more if you yeah. need it. Or you'll come up with new ways. You'll be resourceful. Mm-hmm. Definitely recommend reading that article. It's definitely, like, as soon as I read it, it was a classic. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Chris. Before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So what would you like to ask the audience? Sure. Well, let's go back to that kind of main theme we've been pushing for. And that I guess the question would be, what are you not thinking about deliberately? What are you just sort of going with the flow of? And how are you going to change that so that you can be deliberate in your choices, in your decisions, whether they're financial or time or career or relational, doesn't matter. But what decisions have you not been thinking about that you really should be thinking about? Awesome. Love it. And so people can't find you on Instagram, but where can they find you on the internet? <laughs> yeah, best best bet would actually just be through my blog, deliberatechange.ca. I've got a contact page there or leave a comment or you can get onto my LinkedIn account or shoot me a note through there. So that's probably the easiest way to uh, to drop me a line again. That's deliberatechange.ca. Yeah, and Chris has done tons of great articles in there, touched a lot of these topics that we've touched on today. So I definitely recommend checking it out. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for being yeah, on the thanks, show, Chris. Chris. Thanks, guys. That was an amazing discussion we had with Chris. And Chris is just an absolute great example of balancing hustle and home life. I love his approach to finances. I find that with my income increasing with all my real estate and my full-time job still, lifestyle inflation is definitely starting to creep up. Even though I'm going up to London on fire meetups, we're hosting an off-fire podcast, frugality slips away. Chris is a good reminder that the little things do still add up, even if the majority of my focus is on growing my income versus reducing my expenses. If I can have an extra $5,000 at the end of the year to invest without reducing my happiness levels, then it's another win, and the little wins do add up. While you're waiting for the next episode of the On Fire podcast, jump over to Facebook and join the London On Fire community and follow us on Instagram at On Fire Podcast. And make sure to tune into the next On Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. Have you subscribed yet? Have you left us a review yet? Why not? Seriously, why not? Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy, and always remember what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. Money often costs too much.